This is the Advanced Selling Podcast presented by Caskey Achievement Strategies. The aim of this podcast is to help business sales teams grow their business with modern strategies and philosophies. Now, your hosts, Bill Caskey and Brian Neal. We're talking with George Grubb today. George is principal in the company GNS Research in Indianapolis, Indiana. And full disclosure, George and I have been uh, friends and colleagues for the last couple of years, coffee drinking buddies. And in fact, we're sitting in a Starbucks today. So, George, welcome to the Advanced Selling Podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. Give us a little bit about your company. I've been interested and fascinated with some of the work you do and a little bit of the types of companies you work with. Well, we started our company back in uh, 1995 and um, kind of a classic story of um, working for the big corporate structure and seeing an opportunity or a gap and deciding to create a company to fill that gap. Uh, At the core, uh, we're a market research company uh, and we service primarily uh, biotech and pharmaceutical companies, but basically healthcare related organizations. And uh, really the foundation or the genesis of our company was when I took a job in market research at Lilly as part of a management rotation. I had never taken more than a class or two in undergrad or graduate school in market research, so I didn't know much about it. Um, But I came in, sat down at my desk the first day, saw the whole back wall of my cubicle lined with reams and reams of data. And I turned to the guy who was uh, giving me, uh, handing over the job to me, and I said, "What, what is this? He said, well, this is a big tracking study we're doing with a particularly large organization. I go, well, what do you do with all this data? He goes, well, that's part of your job. You've got to sort through all that information. I'm like, I, I don't think I've got the skills to do that, uh, never mind the patience to yeah, do that. Right. And what that said to me, I remember thinking to myself, you know, why can't there be organizations out there that not only collect data to help answer business issues for us, but can also help us analyze and tell us what it means. Uh, and so about a year and a half, year and three quarters later, I left and started GNS Research. So we today, um, you know, the, the simple answer is that our clients have information needs and they want to address those needs with primary market research. We go out, help design that research, uh, we collect it, we analyze it, and then we, uh, we come back and say this is what it's telling you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So the essence of your work is in, pharmace- in the pharmaceutical, healthcare, biotech business. And uh, I want to talk today about specifically one area, which uh, I assume is just one area of what you do, and that is uh, the sales teams of these companies and what, what the customers, what you are finding customers want from sales teams. So number one is the content around that. Number two is why do you think it's important that sales organizations know what their customers want? Because I don't think too many organizations go out and spend a lot of money on research to find out what what their customers, I mean, there's customer satisfaction research, but that's really not what you're talking about mm-hmm. here, right? No, There I might mean, be some of that, but, but... I mean, you're hitting on, I think, I, I think you don't even have to follow pharmaceutical. As long as you pick up a newspaper every so often, you're going to read something about pharmaceutical sales representatives, yeah. uh, and it's not very positive. Um, there are a lot of organizations out there right now that commit almost all their time um, to getting uh, physicians to close their practice access to, uh, to sales reps. Uh, that industry is just it's completely changed. I mean, I'm not, well, I'm feeling older every day, but uh, I'm certainly uh, not quite over the hill. And when I got into pharmaceuticals in the late 80s, 
it was still what I call kind of the old model. Um, it wasn't that difficult um, to, to knock on a, on a dock's door, get in, get access. You didn't necessarily need appointments. Um, you could have a conversation. Quite honestly, it was, it was more ripe for relationship building. Uh, throughout the, uh, the 1990s and into this new millennium, it was really kind of dubbed the arms race, which meant that uh, a lot of the larger pharma companies just went through massive additions to their sales force. As an example, when I was at Lilly, I remember we had our first ever national sales meeting, and I think we had just over 2,000 reps. Today, you know, Lilly's reps are, are easily triple that. But that happened uh, industry-wide, and uh, I think if I memory serves me correctly, over about a five- or six-year period, the amount of reps out serving uh, physicians in the United States more than doubled, from like 50,000 over 100,000, which is a problem when you look at the number of physicians over that time frame, uh, grew only about 8% or 9%. So you could say that, that certainly pharmaceutical uh, companies had a hand in uh, what I would call kind of the uh, deterioration uh, of the perceived value of a sales representative. Today, uh, if I remember some of the data, upwards of like 40, 50% of all primary care offices are closed, no access at all to, to sales reps. So, so that's a trend upward. Correct? It's definitely a trend upward, yeah. I mean, you see that more so in urban areas, uh, less so in suburban and rural areas. But So it, it's a challenge. But I think what has uh, kept there, there from being a tipping point in the industry, and by tipping point I mean seeing one of the large pharma companies go through a massive reduction of sales reps, is that it still has an incredibly high return on investment. So while there are a lot of numbers out there to suggest that you know the average call costs this, the average rep, you know, when you throw in everything, how you comp them costs whatever, the return on investment is still humongous. But uh, it is an industry that's changing, um, and certainly those companies that are on the forefront of change, and I would think some of the smaller companies may be better suited to lead that change, just because. Not that they necessarily have less to lose, but they're certainly more, more nimble. nimble. They're yeah, more nimble. Flexible. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk for a minute about specific things. Uh, you know, in our practice, we talk a lot about value. How are you valuable to your customer? Uh, not just as a company, but as a as a human being, as a sales professional. Because I'm convinced that if you don't see value in yourself, then your customer is certainly not going to see value in you. Uh, but what are you finding, doctors in general, but then we're going to extrapolate that to the general industry, what do you find they want from salespeople today? Not, not specifically, but just maybe some general areas of value that a, that a good salesperson brings a, a customer. Well, there has been, like I said, there's been a lot of change more recently. And, I, and the good news, I guess, for me in that question is that uh, a lot of companies are, are turning more towards primary market research to go out and ask, just ask their targeted customers, mainly physicians, that exact question. And the way that they'll frame it is, you know, you have a lot of reps that call on you. Let's talk about those reps that you really view as superior. What exactly do they do that makes you dub them superior? And then, of course, you can flip that to say you probably have reps that are, are horrible. You know, what are the behaviors? What are the things that they do or don't do? But the reality of it is, with the arms race over the last 10 or 15 years, reps were reduced to primarily a soundbite. The average conversation with a doctor uh, is less than two minutes long. 
And if you're carrying two or three products in your bag, I mean, you can do the simple arithmetic and, and figure out that there's really no basis there for a conversation. Um, and that as a rep, you're just trying to get that message in, yeah. drop some samples. It's really, really changed. I don't see how you can really answer that question from a pharmaceutical standpoint if, in fact, that's the extent of the dialogue that you've got with your customers. But I think the way that it's going bodes very well for sales professionals. Not all, uh, but I think what's going to happen is that companies are going to start to, first of all, give their reps more autonomy. Today, uh, uh, from what we see, it's a lot of you need to make eight calls a day right. with doctors. You've got to get in and make a couple of pharmacy calls, blah, blah, blah. It's very you know, simple reach and frequency metrics. As an example, I read a couple months ago that Merck was now turning to a policy that said, we're going to let our reps choose what they do and how they do it. We're going to pilot this. But essentially, we're going to, we're going to leverage good. the knowledge and the goodwill. we people out there. I mean, I work with one pharmaceutical company, and they're, they're very bright people. They are superbly intelligent, and they're, they're not what I would consider the traditional rep, you know, sales rep organization. They're very bright. They're, they're very caring. They really see themselves as problem solvers. They get a little bit more time than two minutes with the doctor, but not much. Right. Well, I like that term problem solver because I think that's the way it's really going to go. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, a physician practice, it's a business. There's a lot of things going on in a business. Obviously, the, the economic engine is, is uh, seeing patients, but it goes beyond that, and, and reps, I think the reps that are successful today, the reps that um, the model as it changes into the future is going to be less so on just shoving a, a particular pill, you know, a promotional uh, message down a, a physician's throat. It's going to be more about understanding the nuances of, of Dr. Jones's practice, practice yeah, versus right. Dr. White's practice down the street. You know, now you've got the influence of, of managed health care, you've got varying uh, patient populations, you may have differences in resources, you know, one may have, you know, a full office staff, the other one does not. There are a lot of nuances about each physician's business, and I think successful sales reps have that mindset, which also means that um, you have to be willing to, to sit back and at times go, is this really the best decision for my customer? Really more of a consultative approach. Um, that's the way I believe the model has to go. I really that's a, do. That's a huge shift, though. I mean, the idea, I've got quotas on number of calls. I'm getting pressure for scripts, probably. Just just like any sales organization puts pressure on the salespeople. And now you're telling me, and I agree with you, but now you're telling me, you're, you know, let's let's not be so quick to sell something. Let's make sure it's the right fit. And those two those two are just like at odds with each other. I, I know it's the right thing. I totally agree with you. And that's why, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Yeah. I'm going to have to wait to see how that evolves. But, uh you know, looking at it from a rep perspective, uh, I remember a soundbite with uh, some focus groups we were doing with reps a couple of years ago, and I remember this younger uh, rep saying in the group, you know, what scares me most is, you know, as, as the sales model, if you will, evolves, I'm concerned that the skills that got me hired aren't necessarily going to be the skills that they're going to be looking for That's in the profound. future. That's profound. It's very profound. Yeah. Because I do think that if... I want to go out and just get a, a quick boom message, you know, minute, two minute. I need someone who's just very, very good at getting the door open, finding that crease, getting that doctor for 60 seconds. That's a skill set. That's a skill set. And, uh, but that isn't necessarily going to be the types of skills that you're going to be looking for in the rep of the future. 
That combined with the fact that I don't think you're going to need as many points towards potentially a lot of change over the next few years. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about that is, and we see this in the general industry population, is that the skill set of getting into a customer is almost directly opposite of the skill set of developing a relationship. Because the get-in guy or lady is is very aggressive, not 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 aggressive, maybe just assertive, is um, is like a tiger, doesn't give up, very persistent. And yet, when you get in, I just had a conversation with the president yesterday. He says, "I got one of my sales guys who is great about getting in the door, but he blows people up when he gets in because he wants to move way too quickly." And this is a technology of significant sale that it's a nine-month selling cycle. You can't move quick on that, and so. I think it's not only that they're different skills, in a way they're almost opposite skills, the getting in versus the nurturing. And I agree. Uh, even in my own business, you know, we've tinkered with different selling models, and uh, that was a learning point for me, that, uh, and it backs up what you're saying, that as an example, when we're a small company, we need people that, quite honestly, can make a big deal out of small way, things yeah. and, and get the door open. But in terms of sticking power, in terms of developing deeper relationships, I agree. It's just been my sense is not really in that person's DNA. They're more of a churn and burn. And, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's really your model. Um, but I do believe that for the pharmaceutical sales rep model to evolve in a positive way that delivers value to um, customer groups, that's going to be how it's going to have to change. So give me the three things we will end up here. We're talking with George Grubb, by the way, principal of GNS Research in Indianapolis. Uh, give us your website real quick while we're talking about your company. It's uh, www.gs-research.com. Okay, gs-research. I don't spell the dash right. It's just a dash. No, it's, it's or gs-research.com for you English majors out there. Um, give, it, give me three things that that and, and try to it, it, t take yourself out of pharma, although I'm sure you'll use pharma as a context for this. The three things that, that the rep of the future, um, you think they really need to be good at. And I'm sure there's more than three things, but in the time we have, just give me three skills, three competencies, three whatever uh, nuggets that a listener can say, you know, one and two I'm pretty good at, but I, you're right, George, I really need help on three. What are three competencies of the future sales professional? You know, if I had another five minutes, my, my answer could slightly change. But off the top of my mind, I mean, I think that the sales rep of the future, regardless of what industry you're in, is going to have to be stronger analytically. I mean, the world is data, and data uh, moves at a very, very fast rate. Data is very, very accessible. Some of the data out there is extremely good and extremely insightful. Uh, so I do believe that sales representatives of the future will have to have stronger analytical skills. Knowing good data when they see it, how do I analyze it, what do I do with it, how do I fuse it into my decision making, those types of things. That's good. Um, so not, not only having an, an analyst on staff, you think they need to be good at it because they're sort of the value provider and if they are always taking it back to someone else to analyze it, how much value are you, know, you going to hire a high school kid to do that? Yeah, I mean certain industries are more data rich than others. True. I come from an industry that's extremely data right. rich, but if I use that uh, you know, as a surrogate for other industries, um, I'm just seeing more data becoming more accessible. Analysis, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I don't think that uh, you have to be a PhD in statistics, but I do think gone is the day where it's 
here's your phone book, Al. Go out, go forth, meet people, shake hands, introduce your product. There's just there's more to it than that. I think the uh, uh, the rep of the future as well uh, will have to be able to prove themselves um, thinking-wise from a macro level as well as a micro level and think within the context of individual customers but also looking more at a macro level. Um, like a territory or, a, or an industry or a segment vertical. Right. I mean, certainly uh, in, in industries where you've got thousands of reps, well, then that means that the geographies that they cover are much smaller. doesn't mean that they're necessarily less complex, but they're smaller. But certainly in other industries where you don't have as many reps, you have, you have much larger, much larger territories. When I, when I first came out of college, I worked for Black & Decker, no small company, uh, Fortune 100 company. I can't remember how many reps we have, but I can tell you that uh, as a consumer power tool sales representative fresh out of college, they gave me a, a pretty rugged, hardy vehicle because I did a lot of driving. You know, I covered three states, and uh, you know, moving from uh, Ohio to Indiana, you know, over to uh, Kentucky and, and West Virginia, very different, you know, areas of the country with a lot of different things going on. And I think that for the rep of the future, they're going to have to be able to look on a micro level, but also on a macro level. So that that would be another area that I think is is changing. Good. I don't. I don't think this one probably has is, is so much a reflection of change, but I do really feel that the core of very effective sales reps are people. I don't know if you're born with it or you can hone it, but um, those that have very strong skills, empathy-wise, that they can really isolate in on what makes this individual customer unique, whether real or perceived. How do I differentiate this? Uh, customer versus that customer. How do I tailor things? How do I getting away from a you know the same spiel over and over and over again? That's a key one as well. And that's difficult. We we talk about you know you have to see your business and your product through the eyes of your customer, and that's really hard for us because it causes us to have to set our own needs aside, our own ego, and our own perspective and. That's hard to do because we're all ego-driven maniacs. You know, I mean, we all like to look at the world through our own filter. And I've always said that you know, if you're in a high-ticket sale like a you know, hundred thousand dollars and above, and the lifetime value of your customer is high, you after your first call, you should go design the brochure. So don't bring in the house brochure on the first call. After your first call, and you find out what the customer's problems are, pains are, issues are. Go design the brochure. So the second time you come in, the brochure speaks directly to him. And people are like, oh, crazy, you can't design a brochure. Well, you can just, you have, you have a template, um, but, but one, uh, one brochure for everybody doesn't work, or one set of uh, expressions, or like you say, one pitch to everybody is just not the way it, it works. Right. And if that's the best you can do, then you're, you're going to be mediocre at best. I think the bandwidth, too, is probably going to change a little bit. In other words, uh, and I'll, this will be the last time I relate it back to my industry, pharma, but you know, if, if what I read about how pharma is going to evolve is true, what that means is that the rep of the future will have to be able to relate at a physician level, but also a managed care executive level, a boardroom level. I mean, you start to think about the profile of that person, the skill sets of that person to be able to communicate effectively 
across very different groups that look at the business very, very differently. Because who calls on one point today? Nobody just calls on CEOs. I agree. They call, they call on everybody, and you've got to be a, not a chameleon because that implies that you're actually, but you've got to be adaptable. Yeah. And you've got to have different messages for those people. Yep. I agree. So, I totally agree. Talking to George Grubb, principal of GNS Research in Indianapolis. Uh, George, any final parting nuggets of wisdom? Because I know you always hold a few nuggets of wisdom back until. Bill, you can't tee me up with that. It's uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. I've only had one cup. You are buying the next cup of coffee, I, I might add. But, uh, Please keep the tape recorder running. No, this has been enjoyable. Any, any, final, uh, any final words of. Uh, Maybe wisdom is not the right word because that, that really puts pressure on you. I just think if you're a sales professional today, I mean, in, in some respects, you either look at a lot of what's going on as a threat or you embrace it. While I'm not quite on the front lines of selling as much as I used to, although I will say that I am kind of getting back more into it for my company a bit this year, uh, viewing it, uh, embracing change uh, and taking on an attitude, a positive attitude towards that, I think is, is the right way to go about it. I think it's very exciting times. I, I'm excited for my industry, noting that you know there's going to be a lot of turbulence and uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, unrest and challenge. But in the end, I believe uh, it's going to be a model that evolves and gets better. And I think as a sales rep, you either view that as I'm going to be an outdated piece of machinery or it's a chance for me you know, to, to figure out how I can adapt and evolve and become a stronger professional. So I think it's part mindset and coming at it from a, an optimistic, let's embrace change and let's take this down to my level and how I can be more effective in what I do is healthy. We had a, a situation yesterday, I came up in a meeting and uh, one of my clients, I'm, I'm trying to get them and they're actually doing more diagnostics up front. So. Now, instead of just going in and pitching a product after 10 questions, they're actually going in and selling the diagnosis for several thousand dollars. And this diagnosis is extremely intense. It's, it's rigorous. It, it requires them to talk to a lot of people in the organization. It requires them to get a lot of data. It requires them to look at their current systems to see how they're working. And uh, this company's been around fairly successful. And, but this diagnostic is just a, is a, is a huge change for them. Because they're used to just pitching, used to selling, and people were buying. And as we go into a slowdown and a recession, whatever you want to call it, uh, over the next year or so, people are going to be much more discerning about where they're spending their money. They will still spend it to solve problems, but they won't spend it unless there's truly a business case and business reason for it. And so something that sounds so simple to you and I, diagnose the problem before you recommend is a huge shift for some companies. George, thanks for your time today. Enjoyed it. We'll do it again sometime if you can, if I can resurrect and raise you out of your slumber and get you to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm awake now. Okay. I'm awake now. Thanks, Bill. Okay. I appreciate See it. See you later. This has been the Advanced Selling Podcast presented by Kasky Achievement Strategies Indianapolis. Join us each time we record a new podcast by going to BillKasky.com or to iTunes.